Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey, bosses. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 228 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. We are live in Tbilisi, Georgia with Nathan, <laughs> Nathan Aguilera. Hey, thanks so much for having me on this week. Dude, it's, it's, it's fun. So you are the cousin of uh, Christina, right? Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're going to tell everyone. Yeah. Well, uh, you have a cool life, kind of like hers, but not with music, but with traveling the world, eating and blogging about it from foodieflashpacker.com. Yeah. It's good to have you on. Thank you so much. Yeah. So we actually met randomly through – how did we even meet? We met in Ukraine like a month ago, right? Yeah, we were in Kiev, and uh, how did we meet? Where where was the first meetup? Uh, a dinner. You came to a dinner I was at. And who who like with, who was a mutual friend? I don't remember. Nate. Okay. From Travel Living. Nate. Hey. Who who we just had lunch with today? Yeah, I just left him here yeah. in Georgia. How crazy is that? We were also living in Chiang Mai at the same time, but our paths never crossed. That's so funny. Yeah. It's so crazy that like Georgia is a place that most people have never even heard of. Well, at least from the U.S., they probably assume we're in like Atlanta. Yeah. And Ukraine is a place that people are afraid to go. Chiang Mai is big on the nomad kind of scene, but I I would imagine most people in Chiang Mai have never, ever been to Ukraine or Georgia. Yeah, but I think if you're uh, working, traveling online at the same time, I think a lot of people are starting to hear about Ukraine and Tbilisi in particular. Yeah, and it's perfect that our paths kind of just cross like this. Yeah. But I, I guess there's a lot of us here right now at the moment. There's a ton, yeah, right? Yeah, there's a big community. It's so crazy. And actually, what's funny is when I first met you guys and I heard that you guys are travel bloggers, I almost didn't want to get to know you because <laughs> most travel bloggers I meet are super annoying. Yeah. And worse I, than dropshippers? Yeah. Way worse. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, like, I think the only downside of dropshippers is they get excited to talk about business all the time. Yeah. So they probably are always talking about, like, you know, like ad optimization or like just kind of like just business stuff, right? It's the same thing with travel bloggers. If we, we tried to get together and you're always talking about SEO and, you know, things like this. Same thing. Okay. Work hazards. I guess it could be. But I think the biggest difference between most travel bloggers I've met, like the kind of the ones that go to TBEX and the mm-hmm. travel conferences, is all they talk about is getting sponsors, uh, like they're sponsored um, like hotel rooms or like trips and – most of them literally make zero dollars. Yeah. All they do is they they just blow up their Instagrams. But it's cool that you guys are actually like successful. You guys are actually making money from it. And I think it's way cooler to blog about food <laughs> than it is to take the same kind of posed photos in Bali as everyone else has done and like race, you know, to just take photos here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the, a lot of us that you've met are pretty established. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us that you've met recently uh, have been doing this for several years. So that might be the difference as well. Yeah, I guess that could be too. I think like when someone's starting out, they're kind of un- unsure what they're doing. Yeah. So they, yeah, I, you know, and I was probably pretty annoying when I started out too. So I can't really blame myself. <laughs> well, I know I was. Yeah, were you actually? So, how did you get started? So, you grew up in Oklahoma, Oklahoma, yeah. Okay. And then uh, I was working in corporate, worked at a corporate law firm uh, as a legal assistant, thinking about going to law school. Uh, but I wanted to be a public defender, and it wasn't going to pay very well. It was only going to pay about the same as I was making as an assistant, but I was mm. going to have to take on about one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of student loans. Yeah. And I decided I was going to take six months off, travel Southeast Asia, think about what I wanted to do, make a decision, and then return and. Uh, 
you know, I kept pushing it. Every six months when I was supposed to come home, I would announce on Facebook, like, I'm saying six more months, six more months, six more months. And I think about the time I got to, like, two, two and a half years, I just said, this is just what I'm doing now, you know? And I'm not coming home anytime soon, and I'm going to quit telling everyone I'm coming home six months from now. And that, that's, that's cool that you figured it out just two or three years in because it took me way longer. I think up until two or three years ago, I would still say to people and, and to myself – Six more months, that's yeah. it. I got to get back to the real world. I got to get back to normal life. And finally, you know, as as <clears throat> probably a year or two ago, I finally was like, okay, you know what? This is my life. Yeah, I don't need to go I'm back. Now. Yeah. You know, sometimes though, I have the feeling, um, it's just sometimes I compare it to a job that you're fine with. You know, it, it, the job is fine. It pays well. You're you're enjoying it. There are no real complaints, but maybe if you went and looked, you could find a better job. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I've just been doing it so long. I've been on the road almost six years. I've been traveling five and a half years now. It's just what I know. It's just easier to keep doing this. So the thought of going home and starting over, I'd be like a kid that just moved out of their mom's house. I don't have any furniture. You know, it'd be threadbare. I'd have to start all over like some eighteen-year-old. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I think one of my biggest fears when I was. You know, first kind of thinking, and I think it was in 2013, so f- six years ago now, before I got into actual online business, before I you know, actually really made any money online and I was just blogging for fun and I was scuba diving, doing Muay Thai, I was so afraid of going back, having no skills, no career, you know, being 28 at the time or almost 30, actually I was probably 30 at the time and thinking, all right, well, what am I going to do? I guess I can live at, with my parents for a year or two, get yeah. back on my feet and get, get another stable. job. Buy new furniture, but I was like, ah, I don't want to do that. And ironically, I called my cousin, who's a public defender, mm-hmm. and I said, "Hey, um, I'm thinking about you know spending a few more months in Thailand because this is my last chance. I'm going to run out of money soon, and if I'm never going to be able to come back, I want to you know really enjoy the last couple of months. If I run out of money, can I borrow a thousand bucks to buy a plane ticket?" And he was like, "Yeah, of course. You know, you're my cousin. You know, he, we're really close." But what really got to me was he said, just give me two months notice so I can save up the money. And I was like, what? Like, you, you're, you know, you're, you're a lawyer. An attorney. You're, you're an attorney. attorney yeah. Like, you make a hundred grand a year. How do you not have a thousand bucks? And he was like, oh, you know, just got bills. But he's like, don't worry. I'll, I'll, you know, like, I can get it to you, but you just have to give me two months. And I was thinking, man, if that is kind of the pinnacle of what is possible back home with, you know, seven years of schooling, making six figures, is not being able to have a thousand dollars like liquid, I don't want to go back. Yeah, you wouldn't make a thousand or a hundred thousand dollars a year as a public defender in Oklahoma. Yeah, I can see that too. I think it's about forty two thousand five hundred. That's low. Yeah. yeah. Well ironically he actually quit a few years ago. I think he's like in his forties. He he was he originally wanted to stay until he was fifty five so he can get like ninety percent pension. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even even maybe even a hundred percent pension. And then he's like, okay, I can't make it till I'm 50, 50, you know, let me do 48 and I can get, you know, 60 or 70%. He couldn't even do that. So I think at like 45, he was like, I quit. I just can't do it anymore. Private practice? No, he's, he sells comic books on eBay. Okay. <clears throat> and he makes like, you know, enough to, to kind of get, you know, to get by and enjoy life. And it's funny because, you know, he was so stressed as a public defender that he just like I can't I just cannot see myself doing this for another five or ten years, even if it means getting you know eighty grand a year free, not working for the rest of my life. I just can't I just cannot imagine myself working this stressful, torturous job for another ten years. So you know maybe you kind of saved yourself and uh, 
from this life that that could have been. Yeah, I think so. There's a huge burnout rate with public defenders. Massive burnout rate. Well, he said that he would see sometimes sometimes people in, in the gas station, and they would come up to him and be like, "Hey, man, like it was because of you, I was locked up for ten years or five years." And luckily, my cousin's kind of a big guy, and he, you know, it's kind of a hard, hard guy, you know. And he'd just be like, he would just you know, say to him, like, "You fucking deserved it." <laughs> And they would shut up, but it must be, you know, it'd be scary to have some criminals come out, you know, blame you because you couldn't defend them, even though they were clearly guilty. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So your life now is completely different. Completely different, yeah. Okay, so what was your first trip when you started traveling? Well, the first official trip when I started was Thailand. I think like most of us or many of us. I started in Thailand and did a six-month tour of Southeast Asia. And were you already blogging then or were you No, I didn't start blogging until I was... After two years of traveling, I got a bit burnt out, uh, trying to think of something to structure my time, trying to think of something that I could do to give me purpose. Give me, uh, I didn't want to go home yet. I knew I didn't want to go home, but also I was a bit aimless after two years on the road. Very burnt out, slowing down a lot. I think I did more than 30 countries the first year. Wow. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think that's the, the curse that a lot of us go through is especially – like, did you have some money saved up, or how did you afford that trip? Yeah, I had money saved up, and I sold everything I owned when I left. We okay. had an estate sale at my house. Wow. Yeah, I sold every, everything that wasn't like a family photo or something okay. very personal. Uh, I And I worked my estate sale, so I sat at the front door and took money and watched everything I had collected for years walk out my front door. Wow, yeah. that's cool. You know it sounds so fancy when you say state sale. Well, that was one of my my weekend jobs to save money for this trip was I worked at my friend owns an estate sale company. And I was working. I had a full-time job, a part-time job, a weekend job, and I was in school full-time. And so, I mean, I was I went more than 60 days without a day off one wow, time trying to crazy. stack money to save for this trip. So uh, one weekend, uh, we just ran the estate sale at my house. That's crazy. So what's the difference between a, like a garage sale, a yard sale, and a estate sale? Oh, that's where you just kind of like throw crap out on your front lawn and people come by or whatever. But an estate sale, like you hire someone and they come in and they appraise and they value things in your house. And there's research done on what things are selling for. And it's it's a little bit more professional. I think we had like four or five people that worked it. Uh, they come in. They can leave bids. You can negotiate prices on things. There's a And, and did you have that much stuff to sell? Like how like, – like- were you already working like a corporate job? Or yeah, like- yeah, yeah. I okay. was working as at a corporate law firm as a assistant, and also my best friend at home is an interior designer. So he was constantly redoing my house, and I mean, I, I had some pretty nice things, custom furniture and nice artwork and things okay. like this. Yeah, I, I think my situation was a bit different. I think I had stuff that nobody really wanted. Oh no, no, no! My <laughs> best friend's an interior designer, so I had a, you know a house full of gorgeous stuff, and then closets just rammed full of. You know, previous iterations of when he had decorated my house and whatnot. All right. So, how and how old were you at the time? I would have been thirty-three when I left. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess you were a little bit more established yeah. than I was. I think I was twenty-eight, and I had only been working for a few years, so I didn't, I really didn't have that, have that much. But it was the same situation. I sold all my stuff, sold my car. I sold my car as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that was enough to travel for two years. So. Kind of like you, we, I kind of just bounced around. I was thinking, I right, what should I do? Luckily, you know, I think I ha- I already had the idea in my mind that I wanted to like work in diving, but you didn't have that. You you were just exploring, right? Yeah, the first two years I was traveling. Definitely, I thought about uh, being a scuba instructor as well. I was doing quite a bit of scuba uh, scuba diving, and I got my uh, certification, my advanced open water, and I thought about pushing that through. But there's not a lot of money doing that. 
Oh, yeah, not at all. You know, not a lot at all. And I mean, it's fun, and you probably get to live in some interesting, beautiful places. But that's what, when I was talking to people, they said it's really just enough money for, you know, weed and pad thai. Yeah, <laughs> like really just to get by. But yeah, for sure. For me, it was more the calculation of I want to dive every day because I loved it, but I can't afford to spend $100 a day diving. So if I work as a dive instructor or a dive master, just a guide, I can invest $1,000 or $1,500 for the license. But then I can dive for free, basically, and as, long to, as, as long as I'm working and taking people out. I can dive for free for the rest of my life. And that's going to save me 1000 bucks a month. <laughs> and, you know, it paid off because that's what I wanted it to do anyways. But for you, like, how did you figure out, like, after those two years? Because I imagine for a lot of people, you know, when they're traveling, they're trying to – they're not just, you know – looking at stuff they're, they're almost kind of looking within trying to find out what they want to do or what makes mm-hmm. them happy like did you did you figure that out during those two years no <laughs> I, I don't think so i mean i i was in chiang mai when i made the decision and i had a lot of blogger friends our friends meg and tom that you've met mm-hmm. you know i knew them in chiang mai and i kind of had had the idea in my head and i thought you know let's give blogging a go i don't really think i knew what i was getting myself into when i started i didn't have a realistic picture of what it looked like and now I enjoy blogging and my blog's doing well and it's making some money. I, I think if I had it to do over though, if you're looking to start making money immediately, I don't think blogging is the best course. I think there are much better ways to start making money immediately. I would probably say blogging is the, the worst course for quick money. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but a, it's, it's an investment for sure. Yeah. Of t- lots of time. Yeah. Yeah. Lots, lots of time. But at the same time, I think I can imagine that most people who I don't actually I don't know like for me the only reason why I'm successful at blogging is because I just enjoy doing it mm-hmm. and I would do it for free anyways. So then by doing a little bit you know tweaks here and there, it's something that I, I don't know how many hours I've put into blogging probably way too many mm-hmm. for the ROI. But it's something that I think once you get to a point of it making money, it never stops. It's like it doesn't really dry up. I got into it a lot for the lifestyle as well. Yeah, so like, t- tell me about it. Like, wh- when did you actually start your blog? Uh, about two, th- three and a half years ago. Yeah, three and, a half. and was it always? Did it start as Foodie Flashpacker? Yeah. Okay. I started. I knew I needed to have some kind of niche when I started, and I wanted that to be food. Uh, it's a thing that you know I'm really passionate about. And I was the guy at home that was always organizing, like you know, there's a new restaurant that opened, and getting everyone, like getting a table and organizing dinner parties and things like this. And uh, so I knew it was going to be food, but. And everyone told me I needed to have a niche, but I think I could have niched down even more. It, even at this point, food is kind of very broad. You know, mm-hmm. I think some of the food bloggers that you see that are becoming popular have like keto blogs or yeah. Oh, yeah, for vegan sure. blogs or yeah. something super neat, celiac blogging. You know what? It, it's true. And I, th- I think people are so afraid to niche down and having have a too small an audience. But the thing is like people – like sometimes people will say like, oh, I can't do a blog in – like Russian because there's not enough Russian speakers. And I'm like, come on, man. You know how many, like, how many people there are in the world that speak that language? Or even like, I think, you know, even if you speak like Slavic or something, or Slovenian, and there's only a million people, there's a million people to follow your food blog or your, your whatever your blog is. That's way more than enough people. And I really feel like people connect when, when you really niche down. Yeah, you become an authority. Yeah. Yeah. You're, if, you're, if you're the number one celiac blogger in the world, you know, or keto blogger in the world, maybe you're not going to have a huge audience, but, you know, your audience is going to be very engaged. And when it come time, comes time to sell something, uh, maybe you don't, you're not going to reach a million people, but you're going to reach 1,500 that are super into everything you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, if you've built up trust with them and everything, they're, you know, they're going to 
buy what you recommend. They're going to go for it. I, I definitely agree. I, I, I think it's it, it's great advice that I think few of us take because first out of fear, but second out of, I don't know, like for me personally, I know that if I just really niche down on one thing, like if I just talked about dropshipping, I would make way more money. Mm-hmm. But for me, it gets boring talking about one thing. So I, you know, my blog is about everything, like travel. I guess I talk about food in pretty much every month's post, even though it's not a food blog. Yeah. Uh, you know about you know making money from like eighty different ways, investing, you know, blo- blogging, books, you know, Amazon, all the stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and then random travel, and then working out, and all this kind of stuff, and it's all over the place. So I enjoy doing it, but at the same time, it's a terrible way of finding that niche and making money. Yeah. So, but. I do like the name Foodie Flash Packer. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like how often do you actually up- update this blog? I try and post every week. Okay. Once and a week. What like like what, do you have like a plan? Like what, are you just are you are you planning out like where am I going to eat? What am I going to do? What do I want to write about? Are you are you doing all the research or are you just writing about, you know, where you happen to be? Yeah, I mean, I definitely research about places before I go and then a lot of it a lot of it, once you get there, you know, I take a ton of suggestions from locals. So I will definitely do a lot of research before I arrive somewhere. I know a lot of places that I want to try. And then once I get there, I start asking local people, where's your favorite place? You know, I I love hole-in-the-wall finds. I love off-the-beaten-path stuff. I think a lot of tendencies, people will point you towards, like, the number one tourist restaurant in town when you arrive somewhere. I think TripAdvisor is the worst Yes, they're going to send you to – and they think that that's what you want. They think that you want the the – tourist place i'm like no 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 like where do you and your friends go on your day off you know what is your favorite lunch spot and stuff like that and i like finding those places and i like sharing those with people so when they come they don't have to rely on TripAdvisor or other big sites like this yeah because the biggest problem with TripAdvisor is you can buy reviews yeah you can delete negative reviews and also like if you have a bunch of tourists who are in town on some package tour for three days and they look on TripAdvisor to see kind of what's the, the top restaurant. And they go there and they're like, oh, yeah, it was pretty good. They're going to give it a five-star rating and they're going to be the top 10 restaurants. Mm-hmm. Even though it's somewhere a local may, would probably never eat because it's not very – it's not great. It's probably okay, but it's not great. It's probably overpriced. Overpriced, yeah. And it's probably not Tourist very authentic. Price. Yeah. and But it's like a vicious cycle where that just keeps happening. Yeah, of course. But what I actually really like to uh, – about hanging out with you and also the other food bloggers are in town is it's first off it's fun and second i think i've eaten such good food from like your recommendations but also just like even when we were walking back from the from lunch today to my house you know you were like you know you have this keen eye of like oh yeah that looks like a good place let's go check out the menu let's go check you know uh saving on the map or you know or like yeah i've researched that place it's a good place and even in my own neighborhood now I have two or three more places where I want to go. Yeah. First of all, I think people that really like food are usually fun people, you know, because usually people that enjoy like food and wine, going out for a nice meal with a bunch of people around the table or whatever. I, I, I do find foodie people to be some of my favorite people. It's just a lot of fun. But yeah, I'm always scouting for a new restaurant, you know, and I, I put those ones that we found on the way here today on my list and I'll go home and I'll research them. I'll look at reviews. I'll look at their menu and things like this. And maybe I'll end up going to some of them. Maybe I won't if they're getting awful reviews from locals online. I might skip it or whatever, but it's especially going to be cool. I'm spending like six weeks in this city. So that's a lot of time to check out some really cool places. So I'm pretty confident when I leave here that my Tbilisi restaurant guide is going to be packed full of 
interesting, cool, unique places. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And I think the the thing I love most about you guys in general, and hopefully it's with all food bloggers, but I assume it is, is how kind of openly you guys want to share your favorite restaurants versus a travel blogger. Let's say they found a really cool you know viewpoint or place to take a photo. Sometimes they're kind of selfish about it where they don't want people taking that same photo. Yeah. So they don't, they won't tell you where it is. Well, food bloggers just love sharing, like, this is the name of the restaurant. This is the street. This is what you should order. And usually we'll be like, let's meet there tomorrow, 8 p.m. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I remember, I mean, so like even today's lunch, it's a place called Lolita. Great name, by the way. Super cute cafe. And I think there's all these kind of kind of cool spots in Tbilisi that are, I mean, oh, first man, off. Come yeah. on, we passed four on just from Lolita to your apartment today. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And what I like about it is there's a good mix of really good Georgian food, which is freaking amazing. For people who haven't had Georgian food, like what what is it like? Can you describe it? Uh, I mean, Georgian food has European and Asian influences. So some of my favorite things like kachapuri, hinkali, things like this. Um, huge, my favorite, the hinkali, the huge soup dumplings. I've been eating those almost every day. But they also do a lot of great things with bread and cheese. This is one of the best countries in the world that's doing cheese dishes. But you can also find regional dishes. We did a road trip last time. We're doing some research for a road trip we have coming up. Uh, some things that you're not going to find all over the rest of the country. Interesting Um there's a, a goat stew that I want to try. They're doing a lot of stuff with walnuts here. Yeah. Almost everything has some kind of walnut sauce or walnuts in it. Um, for a lot of people that don't know, Tbilisi, or Georgia, I'm sorry, is known as a foodie destination. Georgia is one of the countries in the world that's getting a great reputation for food and also wine. This is the literal birthplace of wine. They found winemaking traditions here going back further than anything else they've been able to find in the rest of the world. Yeah, it's crazy. And you know what's... I guess it's a little bit sad, but I'd never even heard of Georgian food or Georgia mm -hmm. as a country until I came. What's your favorite dish so far? It's so hard to say because I, I, I can honestly say I like all of them. Yeah. Um, so I guess to break it down, all right, let's go one by one. Mm -hmm. So first off, geographically, as you mentioned, it's the mix of East and the West, Asia yeah. and Europe, because we're literally on the border right in this, like on one side is Asia, on one mm -hmm. side is Europe. And because of that, we have things like the Kankali, which is basically a big version of Xiaolongbao, which is like that Chinese soup dumpling. Mm -hmm. And they look kind of the same. Just like on steroids. Like Just a massive 10 times version. bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's almost the same thing. Like, you know, you take a little bite, there's soup inside, there's meat inside. Here they use a bit more kind of herbs versus in some variations of it yeah yeah oh yeah yeah um but some have cheese some have potatoes but i think the original one is just like it's like a mix of pork beef and probably some herbs right yeah. okay mm -hmm. while like the chinese version is always just pork maybe some like chives or something but i think it's mainly just pork and soup and honestly the chinese ones are better yeah <laughs> yeah i'm sure you've had them right? yeah but not in china so i mean i'm, I'm sure i haven't or, had maybe the best version of them but have you have you have you like where have you had them like have you ever been to like there's a really famous michelin star one called um ding tai Fung. yeah and, i've been there in taiwan okay yeah, yeah. That, that's the same it's exactly the same as like the best you would have in, in china or because that is basically i think i don't know where it was in, in it was invented probably somewhere in china but basically the one that you had in, in Taiwan is exactly the same as the best one. They're delicious. They're amazing. And I think the reason why I like them better is I like kind of that gingery, mm -hmm. you know, kind of delicate. Like the, the Chinese ones are way smaller. The, the, the pastry is way thinner. 
the meat's even kind of more juicier. Yeah, for people that don't know, the Georgian ones you eat with your hands. Yeah, they're, they're so big. You they have they're knotted on the top. They're, the pasta the is twisted at the top, and you pick it up with your hands. It's probably comparable to the size of your fist. Yeah, you know, bite off the side, drink the soup out, and then uh, you know eat it. And they're yeah, they're a filling meal. I think I can eat. Okay, most people would eat five of them because they're that big. I can have six or seven. I can have ten. Ten, yeah, yeah. easily. We ordered five the other night, and I kind of sat there looking sad because I should have ordered seven. Yeah. Actually, one thing I want to do uh, one of these nights, maybe we can get a group together, is I want to do a traditional Georgian Kankali night. Yeah. Where what they do is they order a massive plate of him. They, you know, let's say for a group of four people, they normally order like 60 of them or 50 of them. And then they have this massive plate of them in the middle. They'll eat. And then they would kind of just hang out and drink wine and just talk. And they'll get then they'll get cold. So what they do is then they ask the chef or the, the waiter to bring them back, and they'll they'll pan fry them. I've seen these, yeah, yeah. And then they bring them back out, and you know it's two hours later, so you're hungrier again. Then eat the the fried version. Okay, I tried the fried versions last time I was here, and I prefer the steam the fresh ones. Yeah, the steam fresh ones, but the fried ones are good too. But I feel like when you fry them, you lose a lot of the soup in the middle. Yeah, I guess they they dry out a bit. Yeah. Okay. And it's about the soup, you know? It is about the soup. At the same time, I love, like, pot stickers and yeah. gyoza, so... And these would be, like, massive yeah. pot stickers. So, Kinkali is very, very good, delicious, and super cheap. They're, they average about one lari per Kinkali, which is 30 cents, I think, right? Yes. But sometimes, like, my favorite place is actually 0.7 lari, which is, I don't know, I guess even less. It's probably like a quarter. 20 cents. Yeah, yeah, they're so cheap. Yeah. And like, you could, I mean, literally you can only eat five or ten. So you're spending like a dollar or two dollars for dinner at a restaurant. Last night we stopped on the way home and we had like two liters of wine and everyone had, you know, we shared some kinkali and at the end of the night it's two dollars each. At a restaurant. At a restaurant. That's crazy, right? We found another restaurant. If you want to talk about affordability here, we went to a very, very trendy, nice place. It's called um, Wine Factory. Yep. Um, have you been? Yes. And also, do you know that I'm, t- I'm like a, two blocks up the hill from it? Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah. So Wine Factory, we found like a nice $10 bottle of wine or something, which is very nice to go to a trendy place and get it's a, a bottle. It's a cool place. Really cool place. But to get a bottle of wine for $10 in a very cool place like that. But we started looking around. They're selling bottles of wine for $2.25. You can mm-hmm. go in there and buy a, a an entire bottle of wine that you share between three people and you're looking at like 75 cents per yeah. person to split a bottle of wine in this gorgeous, trendy, upscale location. But by the way, I have some white wine in the fridge. Do you want some? Uh, I'll never say no. Okay. I'm going to pause for one second, guys. <laughs> Cheers. Gummy Joba. Actually, I, I actually don't know how to say it. Is, is that right? I have no idea. I should probably learn how to say it, but one really cool thing about the toast in Georgia is how you love long the long toast. Yeah, I knew what you were gonna say. It, they're insane. The first time I heard one of the long Georgian toasts, I was like, okay. So it always starts with you, you first thank God, and then you thank your parents, and then you you thank your family, then you thank. And it basically goes from like big to small. 
And it's something like, I mean, I guess we could just do it, right? So Yeah, I mean, I heard you the other night cheersing the inventors of the airplanes that brought us here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, and this is great, you know, and, you know, friends, like, I mean, for us to be able to connect from all around the world and then have, you know, all this great food and a great restaurant, great wine, to the farmers who, like, planted the, the grapes and then the people who made the wine, you know, thousands of years ago and passed down this knowledge, you know, the people who you know, just keep tradition alive and created languages. I mean, basically it goes like this. Yeah. <laughs> and then at the very on on. end, you say like, okay, to us guys. And I love it. And it really feels like a very warm, grateful thing. Like almost like Thanksgiving, but with every glass. Because they don't just do it once. They literally do it every time they pour a glass. Where did you see this at? So. You must have been outside of Tbilisi or somewhere. You're in a village. It's funny because, no, I was in the city center okay. on a free walking tour. Okay. And normally it's not included, but my guide, he was like, hey, um, I'm going to take you guys somewhere that's not on the tour. <laughs> and we're like, okay. He takes us to this uh, little winemaker guy that, that sells. And I, I'll, I'll put it on my, my blog post about Tbilisi. But it was, I, I can't specifically remember the name of it, but it was just this guy selling wine in, in a shop. And... He was, you know, and normally, and I've been to many of these places where they kind of give you like a couple quick tastings and then they try to get you to buy some wine. This guy, he like was super hospitable. He seemed so genuinely happy to see us and to welcome us. And like he would, you know, pour the wine for everyone. And he would have a glass and he would say like, you know, like, you, you know, really like I appreciate you being in my country and I love that you're here. And like he really got to, the time, you know, took the time to get to know everyone we had the cheers. We had our three or four glasses. And then he was like, oh, you know, does anyone want to try some cognac? And we're like, okay. <laughs> so he pours some cognac for everyone. And then afterwards, someone's like, oh, you know, can I buy some of that cognac? And he's like, oh, no, like we don't, we don't sell any here. I just wanted to give it to you. Was it like cha-cha? No. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I guess maybe, but okay. it was more cognac-y. But it was homemade. And for people that don't know a lot about Georgia, that is their reputation is hospitality. And mm-hmm. that's really what they're building their tourism industry on is – very hospitable people. They're fam- famous for this. this is, they're famous for hospitality, food, and wine. And, I mean, what else do you want, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is I mean, like especially the pillars. Especially if you're a food blogger. That is the pillars. Yeah. But before people get overly excited, assuming that everyone's going to like treat them like their, their grandchildren, I found out that the super hospitable nature is really East Georgia. That's like the spot where they're super known for it. The people in the mountain regions actually are not hospitable. Okay. They're really – I mean, part of it is the war mm-hmm. with Russia and kind of wars their whole lives, kind of just trying to keep their, their space. Second, the culture is very different. The mountain, the people in the mountains are very different culturally than the, the people kind of the rest of Georgia. I heard the, for whatever reason, the West is a little bit less hospitable too. They're still, I mean, everyone's very friendly. Yeah. But like what we – what we think of as people inviting you into their house for dinner and pouring you wine and doing these and like really treating you like a, like literally a gift from God for being a guest in their country, that's the East. And that's okay. why I want to go there. We're doing a road trip next week and into the mountains, so we'll see. Okay. Yeah. I, I, was, I was up in the mountains. Yeah. Did and you find it to be true? Yeah. Yeah. Like it was the up in the up north, they were not very friendly. Like they're kind of like tolerating but they were they were not super friendly but i want to go to the east and really like try to meet these people i actually want to go, just show up and see what happens yeah why not yeah okay so the wine actually a lot of people don't realize we're drinking white wine but it's like amber colored do, do you know the history of it 
Well, yeah, they're, they're they have amber wine. So a lot of the stuff that they call white wine, I would even consider amber wine. But a lot of their wine is aged not in metal or in oak. They're aging it in like terracotta looking pots, and they bury it underground, and that's why it takes on the orange color. Yeah, I, I heard it's that, but also they don't take out the seeds, the skins, or even the leaves. It's not filtered. It's not filtered at yeah. all. And they you just, can taste it, don't you think? They just throw it all in there. Yeah. I think that's why I like the wine because it tastes – it's almost like unfiltered beer when you – you know, if you've ever been to like – have you been to Prague? Yes. You know, I like – I think they have the best beer in the world, the Czech beer. I would agree it's some of the best in the world, yeah. And and they're, and plenty of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and cheap. Yeah. People, people uh, in Czech Republic, they love their beer. Yeah, and I think what I really like about it is that it's unfiltered, unpasteurized, so it really tastes fresh, and it's something you can't really export because it goes bad so quickly. Yeah, and even like the wine we're drinking now, we should tell people, what is this, like in a one-liter plastic bottle? Yeah. And would you get it by fresh at the grocery store on tap? No, I got this actually from one of those wine kind of uh, stores where, where they sell a bunch. I mean, um, I don't know what they're called. It's definitely not a seller. It's like... A wine cellar or anything, but it's a dedicated wine shop. You can buy in the grocery stores. Some of the grocery stores have this wine, like on tap fresh wine, and fill up your plastic bottles like this and buy wine by the liter. And it's cheap, huh? Yeah, it's really affordable. Also, last time we were here, uh, with I was here three years ago, and a lot of the restaurants we go to, they bring you the wine list and they bring you, you know, the list of bottles, and you would say, you know, do you have fresh wine? Do you have, do you have the um, uh, tap tap wine, fresh wine, cellar wine, whatever they call it? They would get so excited that you wanted to drink this because I think they think most foreigners, you know, they want expensive bottles and things yeah. like this. And they were they're so happy if you tell them you want to try like the wine their grandma made or the wine their dad made or something. They're really excited to share it with you. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. And I preferred this wine so much more. I mean, I feel like it's less wasteful than the big glass bottles. It, you actually get better value because. Instead of being 750 mil, it's one liter. And what did that cost you? I don't remember specifically, but it, it was definitely not more than $5. Oh, I would be shocked if it was more than 3 Yeah, Yeah. I, I think this specific place I went, it it was not that cheap. It was it was probably five dollars actually. I think you can get it's cheaper at like a grocery store or something. Yeah, a lot of the restaurant we went to last night, I think we paid eight lottery, which is about uh, two dollars and fifty cents for a liter of wine. Yeah. That's crazy. And but it's good. Yeah, I like it. It's really nice. Some people don't like it because it doesn't taste like normal wine because it's not filtered. Um, not it doesn't taste like wine that they're used to. You know, uh but this is the original wine. This is like what wine was. And they also have different variations. You know, you can spend more and get something that's filtered and things like this. But yeah, the table wine is usually about like what we're having now. It's like it tastes very authentic. Yeah, it's good. It tastes very like earthy and homey. And it looks cool. Like, it looks really, really cool. Yeah, it's got an orange tint to it. So, wine's good. Food's um, good. Food's good. People are nice. People are nice. And also, quite a few of them are speaking English. Yeah, I've noticed that. The young people, anyway. Anyone under 25, probably, speaks pretty good English. Yeah, for sure. People over 25, or at least over 30, they all speak either Georgian. They all de- they definitely all speak Georgian, but Russian. a lot of them also speak Russian. Yeah, Russian. But it's funny. I was speaking. I was buying a bottle of water from some like shop shop lady, and I was speaking to her in Russian, and she was so excited. Like they're really excited if you can like communicate with them. We had such a random story when we were here three years ago. We were in a village. We were doing a road trip, and we were in a village, and this woman had a display case full of food sitting out and we stopped for lunch and we were trying to buy the food and we were pointing and she just kept, no no 
no. And, you know, we don't speak Georgian. We don't speak any Russian. And we could not understand why this lady would not sell us food. And with my horrible limited um, Spanish, I just said, like, por que no? Like, why not? And she said, oh, tu español. Like, she got so excited. Oh, wow. This woman in a Georgian village watches um, Mexican telenovelas. Like wow. Telenovelas. And, you know, so with my bad Spanish, we were able to figure out she was saying this food is old. Uh. It's not fresh. I will throw it away and I will make you something new and fresh, but you don't want the old food or whatever. But That's yeah, so to be funny. In a Georgian village using Spanish was incredibly random. Yeah, because it's funny because I think sometimes we can take these you know communications the wrong way. We were thinking, oh, she doesn't want to serve us because mm-hmm. we're tourists, or they don't want to, you know, like because they're racist or they're you know they're whatever it was. But in reality, it's the exact opposite. Yeah, where, she wanted to give us something better. Yeah. Wow. That's a cool experience. Yeah, I really like that. And that. We all ended up living in Mexico, the friends I was traveling with later. But at the time, they were just staring at me like, how are you How are you speaking Spanish in this Georgian village with this 80-year-old grandmother? <laughs> yeah, it was so strange, right? It was crazy. But I, I think we mentioned it during lunch. You know, if you can learn English, Spanish, Russian... And Chinese, you're you, set. You're done. Yeah. Like that's the world. Yeah. I mean, obviously not, but like that's most of the world. Oh, I think you'd find yourself covered in most situations. Yeah. So that's what I'm working on. I'm slowly working on Spanish. Poco a poco. Poco y poco. Mas o menos. What's funny is my Spanish wasn't never good, but it wasn't terrible until I started learning Russian. And yeah, now that's what you mentioned. Yeah. I, I, I cannot speak a word of Spanish anymore. Like, oh, get ready. Don't you have some Mexico time in your very am, near future? I, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Better uh, brush up on your Duolingo. I know. So, in October, Nomad Summit is going to Cancun. So, if you guys haven't gotten your tickets yet, go to nomadsummit.com and you can get your tickets there. Sign up for the mail list for updates. And I hope to see everyone out there. And you're going to be in Mexico around the same time, right? When is it? October? October. I may or may not. I'm, I'm arriving for sure by November for Dia de los Muertos. Okay. But you know what? I'm going to stick around. So I'm going to be in Pau del Carmen for all of November. And then over Thanksgiving, I'm going on a liverboard for diving in Sorco, which is where Baja, all that. Sir? Baja, California. Yeah. Baja, California. That'll be nice. Yeah. So if you want to join for that, well, that'd be sharks. fun. Whale sharks, hammerhead sharks, shark sharks, shark sharks. <laughs> baby sharks, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you want. Yeah, like I've I've heard, I've literally heard there's like you'll swim like fifty sharks. Wow. So, that's so that's gonna be cool. I love tacos, love tequila. We're gonna upgrade you to mezcal. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll try some mezcal. Yeah, yeah. Everyone comes to Mexico, starts on tequila, and then we we're gonna upgrade you to mezcal. What is mezcal? Mezcal, people compare it to tequila, and I think a lot of locals will get pretty upset by that. They're both made of the agave plant, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where the they the the similarities end after that. So mezcal, when they harvest the agave, they dig huge holes, and they throw the agave in these holes, and then they put burning wood, um, smoking burning wood, bury it with the agave, cover it up with dirt. They leave it down there for a week or whatever. So the agave gets smoked, Mm. and then they pull it up, and they continue processing it like that. And it's really smoky, really complex. The longer they leave it down there uh, with the embers or the burning wood or whatever, the smokier it gets. Um, 
It's really famous in Oaxaca. Really delicious. When you pair it with some of the complex, like, moles and things like this, and this smoky, they go really, really, really well together. I'm, I'm off of tequila. I'm only Whoa. drinking mezcal when I'm in Mexico. You know, somebody brought me a bottle of tequila from Mexico that was, like, a smoky... Like a like a smoky tequila, it was something I never seen or had before. Are you sure that wasn't mezcal? Does it, I mean it, I'm pretty sure it said tequila. On okay, it. would it say tequila or would it say mezcal? It's say mezcal. Bottle? Yeah, yeah, they're, uh-huh. they're different creatures. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely try one on there for sure. Yeah, but Mexican food, actually, as, as we were talking about on the walk here, that's the one thing I miss the most when I travel. Yeah, good Mexican food. It's a, it's so hard to find. It's it, a, basically impossible to find. It's a distinct crave. And I think when you travel, you don't. I never hardly find real Mexican food. You find Tex-Mex. I never see Mexicans, real Mexicans. So this is a shout out. All right, this is a call to all the Mexicans out there. Right, instead of immigrating to the U.S., come everywhere else in the world and open some authentic Mexican food. I'm half Mexican. Okay, stay here in Georgia, open a, open a restaurant, because we need you. We need immigration all around the world for authentic Mexicans, okay? So, actually, I wanted to say in Spanish, I completely forgot my Spanish now. Uh, yo necesito mi mexicana hombres uh, in Georgia. In Georgia. In Georgia. In Georgia specifically? Yeah. So... Like, well, I mean, just wherever I am, because here's the thing is in every country I've been to, I've found authentic Thai food because there's Thai people, right? There's Thai massages here. There's Thai food here. Indian food. Every country I've been to, authentic Indian restaurants, authentic Indian people. You know, same with Chinese food. There's Chinese people everywhere. Unfortunately, they also change their recipe to match whatever culture they're in to make it like sweet and sour Kung Pao or like general styles, but... At least there's authentic Chinese people there making food. There are no Mexicans in random countries. Very few. Like, I never see it. Like, like, why is it that there's Indian and Chinese people in every freaking country, like, you know, open up restaurants, but I, and Korean restaurants. Like, we went to a really good Korean restaurant here, authentic Korean people. Like, really good food. Uh, Yesterday, I went to this Indian restaurant, super good, super authentic, but the Mexican food is hard to find. Yeah, I think most Mexicans are probably trying to immigrate to the United States. It's much closer. It's closer to immigrate to that country than it is to come halfway around the world to anywhere in Eastern Europe or yeah. Asia. I think the big difference is like I think in the Mexican culture, people are really close to their family. Yeah. So they don't want to be the only Mexican person in Georgia or in Ukraine or in Russia. You we, know. we learned a lot about that um, at a conference, a TBEX that I did in the Philippines as well. Uh, a lot of Filipino bloggers feeling the pressure to like leave home and go on this year-round around-the-world trip, and uh, like a lot of people from other countries doing, they said that's not our culture. It is not our culture to leave our families like this. You know, we're we're very family people, and the mm-hmm. the thought of leaving your family for a year or two, it just it's it's not very it's not the Filipino mindset, you know. But they felt the pressure because that's what uh, their colleagues are doing. Yeah. I mean, I guess speaking of that, so you've met a lot of other travel bloggers and food bloggers now, right? Yeah, fortunately. <laughs> fortunately or unfortunately, I guess. Mostly fortunately, yeah. yeah. I've made some really amazing friends through travel blogging. I mean, people that I'm extremely close to, some of my closest friends now, I've met through travel blogging. Okay. What, what, uh, so thinking about just the really successful people who've kind of made it, right? Because I would imagine with, with most things, but especially with blogging, the big majority of people don't make any money. 
So just, you know, a lot. That's correct. Big majority. So just thinking about the people who are successful, who are making money, what are some of the things that they're doing differently? Well, first of all, they all started a long time ago. You know, I think some of the biggest people have been doing it for quite a while. So we're seeing people like 10 years, uh, things like this. Uh, The people... You hear about people now coming along and making $100,000 within the first year. That's not typical, and that's the outliers, you know? And when you, the reason that they're famous is because that is not the typical blogging experience. I think now the people that are coming along that are finding success quickly, uh, if I had it to do all over again, I would have started with SEO straight out the gate. When I started, I had no idea what SEO was. I think I spent probably a year and a half or of blogging almost two years before I knew what SEO really was. And once I figured out what it was before trying to tackle it. And when you say SEO, do you mean just on-page SEO to make it easy for Google to find or also finding places to link to you? I mean both. But in the beginning, I didn't do anything and I had no traffic and I couldn't figure out why I had no traffic. And <laughs> okay. I hadn't written anything in a way that was ever going to bring me traffic, you know. So, mm-hmm. And now I've got a catalog of old stuff that I need to go back and update, uh, which is, you know, could probably be done fairly easily. But... The other thing is that other people that you're seeing quick success are um, some bloggers that have risen to the top quickly from things like, I would say, more personality-driven bloggers. You've seen some people that have Instagram crossovers okay? Yeah, that have managed to jump off of Instagram as that platform has decreased their audience. I think that's really smart. I think anyone listening with a big audience on Instagram or kind of any social media needs to get them off of that platform onto their own personal site their own personal URL because once you have your own blog on your own website, especially if you can collect their email address, they are your customer for life. And your every for life. algorithm change, we see steep declines on Instagram. You know, my Instagram, I used to get twice the amount of interaction and everything. So I'm glad that I'm not, I'm glad I'm a bit diversified with my audience so that not all of my audience is on one platform mm-hmm. or I would be pretty traumatized about the decrease in my Instagram engagement. Yeah, and, and and the thing thing is, people don't realize that things change so quick. And once a platform changes the algorithms or kind of just falls off, you know, um, being kind of a hot thing, you you lose people quick. And even if they like you, they can't find you. Yeah. So you know whether people were on Snapchat or on. Listen, somebody was the biggest guy on MySpace back in the day. You yeah, know? you know that's true. <laughs> All of these platforms may very well go the way of MySpace at some point. Yeah, and even the like, what was the one where um, you kind of like live stream and it was really hot for a while? Um, I think Twitter bought them. Um, telescope. Telescope, yeah, and Periscope. 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 Yeah, yeah. I never got into it. But you know, it's funny now. I think TikTok is getting big. Yeah, but I guarantee we were talking about TikTok today. At yeah, lunch. yeah, and I guarantee that's gonna get hot and then die. As well, so and there was another one I don't even remember the name of it. They tried to come up with the Insta- the new Instagram, yeah, or whatever Casey Neistat tried to push. What was that? Might have been the same thing. I don't know. And it came and went quickly. Yeah. So I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea to hop on these bandwagons because you can get a lot of engagement really quickly, especially for the kind of the first or the or early adopters. But you have to get them off that platform because you have no control over it. Move them to your site. You have to move them to your site. And this applies if you have a lot of sales from like Amazon, you know, or on eBay or whatever it is. It's good. Take advantage of it. Get those customers, but then get them off your site. You know, get them off that platform and onto your site. Your own site. And I would say that that's probably some of the best advice anyone can have. Uh, so for, for you personally, like, so when did you start actually seeing some money coming in from your site? A year and a half. 
Wow. Yeah, I would okay. say definitely. I even I wrote a post about this. The first year, I think I probably lost money. Mm-hmm. By the time I had paid for courses, um, you know, registering my domain, uh, every, everything that I needed to do to eating get the, all that food. Oh yeah, the <laughs> research. Yeah, the research. But by the time I I bought the courses and the domain and everything else, I probably went negative. Yeah. Well, were the courses helpful then? Yeah, and initially I would say I did something. I'm not a very technical person, and one of the courses in particular that I did uh, had a lot of um, how to set up a site, what plugins do you need, how to install them, why you need them, things like this. So I think that course, I got the value of it just out from the technical side. Okay. What was that course? Nomadic Mats. Okay. Superstar Blogging. Okay. So it wasn't that I turned into a superstar, but it allowed you to just set up a blog. Yeah. Okay, cool. It, yeah, yeah. It, le- it let me get going. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, like, having that step-by-step... I mean, I'm, I haven't been through his course, but I assume, you know, it's a video walkthrough. It shows you, you know, like, kind of step-by-step how to do it. I think that's super useful. It's the same guy that does all of his technical stuff on his site. Okay. Yeah, so, and he he literally... It's video demonstrations of how to install a plug-in. And, and what's Which, your... To, to, to us now... Installing a plugin is nothing, but it's very overwhelming yeah. when they tell you you need to install these twelve plugins. And you're like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> what is a plugin? K. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is your site built on WordPress? Yes. I think that even even that, like, I'm pretty sure most courses, like, you know, explain the the value of starting on WordPress versus on Wix or on Weebly or on you know Squarespace or something. Yeah. And I think just even like that and having someone really explain to you kind of like long-term benefits of being on WordPress versus the easy, you know, startup on the free trial on, on Squarespace. Easy or cheaper. Because or cheaper, the, yeah. In the beginning, you're, you know, you're not making a nickel and this is all costing you money. Yeah, and you end up getting screwed. Like, the, this podcast, Travel Like a Boss, is on the free version of Weebly, okay. which sucks, but I can't transfer it off because it's so big and it would just be a pain in the butt. And it's it's funny because I have no control at all, zero. So somebody was uh, I had on uh, Peter uh, Santiago. I can't remember Peter. It's the wine. <laughs> yeah, I know it must be. But uh, Santiago, I, I can't pronounce him his name. But Peter, shout out. He was trying to share his the Ukraine episode because we recorded a podcast in Ukraine with some of his Ukrainian friends because it was really good, and he they just couldn't load it, and I found out even when I was visiting the site myself, is Weebly just blocks all traffic from Ukraine. Just like, oh, you're Ukrainian? You must be a hacker. So you cannot view this website. And I have no control. I contacted support. I tweeted at them. They're basically like, tough luck. <laughs> like, tough luck. We, we, we block the whole country because it's a risk. Because they can't make any money from it. And a quick VPN. I guess you could, yeah. right? But I mean, how many? Like, are you gonna t- if you're gonna share a link to a friend, are you gonna be like, oh, you have to go on the VPN yeah, to course. load the site? No, most people aren't gonna, gonna do it. And follow WordPress. I wouldn't have that issue. But okay, so you went through this course, and then how? Do you remember where your first dollars came in? My first dollars came actually blog related. Uh, something I still do now is freelance writing. Okay. And there was a company that had seen my blog, and then they asked me if I wanted to contribute some uh, piece for their website. Mm-hmm. And the first bit of money that I made was forty dollars. Nice. Yeah. And I did several of these forty dollars articles excitedly. Yeah. I was ex- sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know. Um, and I did several, and then after I did some, I started thinking, if someone's paying forty 
someone else is paying more, you know, uh-huh. quickly jumped off of those. And I still do a fair bit of freelance writing now. That's one of my income streams. And now, like, what would you accept for an article? Depends on the length. You know, the last one that I did, I 300 words for $150. Okay. So something short and sweet, but I've done others that are, I've got $750 for a post. Wow, that's for, a lot. Yeah, for an article that I did. So it ranges on who the client is and how many words they want. And are they reaching out to you or are you reaching out to them? Both. Okay. Yeah. It's a lot. That's one of the things about freelance writing. And our friend Nate that we had lunch with today, I just did a piece on his course about how to make money while you're traveling. And that's one of the things that we talked about pros and cons of freelance writing. Definitely, you can start making money freelance writing much faster than blogging. Okay. You know, you can yep. accept an assignment this week and get paid on it next week in a perfect world. One of the big downsides of freelance writing is the constant pitching. Yeah, that must be annoying. I mean, it it's must be hard. So are you literally just cold emailing yes. like sites? Often, oftentimes, yeah. Oftentimes. Wow. And have you ever tried having a VA do it? No. No. I've, I've had – I've worked with people. I actually have – Three or four um, people that I'm working with now, freelance people that do various things for me. But no, I've never had much success because the people that I want to pay and hire are usually, you know, um, not native English yeah. speakers. Okay. And and for for my budget that I would allow for this kind of thing, they're not native English speakers. And then I get kind of cringy if I see a lot of mistakes yeah. going out. <sighs> I'm a, uh, man, that must be hard. I, I would never want to... I have to have the pitch. I, I think that's the hardest thing is like I'm sure I can get more sponsors for the podcast if I pitched. I just don't want to do it. Well, but could you imagine pitching someone to do a story for them? Like I want to be a freelance writer and then the email goes out with spelling or grammar yeah. mistakes. No one's going to hire a writer that can't put together an email. Yeah, that's definitely true. I, I can definitely see that. So Nate has a has a course. So he's Travel he's Lemmings. developing a course. Okay. Yeah. So you guys can check him out, travellemmings.com. Travel Lemming. Lemming? Yes. Why, why not more? There's only one Lemming? Just him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, travelliving.com. It's a course he's developing, and I'm one of the speakers. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. Nice. And then, okay, so you started making, you know, 40 bucks as a as a freelance writer, and then what next? What happened next? Um, I started making some small affiliate sales, and even some of the things about affiliate commissions, like I would get paid uh, a commission from booking.com. Uh-huh. But the payout is a hundred euro minimum. So yeah. even I was looking at this money for months, you know, <laughs> technically I had made it, but I hadn't hit the threshold uh-huh. to get a payout. So I started uh, the freelance writing, gotten a bit into affiliates. Uh, now I'm doing some social media management. Okay. Uh, those are the primary ones blog related. And then the, my main income is I have money invested back in the States. Did you have that before you started traveling or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So was that covering you while you were getting started? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And what are you invested in? Mostly mutual funds. Mutual funds? Like index funds or actual like mutual funds? Uh, I don't handle a lot of this myself. I have some help with this. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that on the Invest Like a Boss after the show. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but uh, – and that money, was it saved up or was it inherited or where would you get it from? Family money. Okay. Yeah, family money. Oh, Nice. I, th- I think it's a nice situation. Actually, out of, I think, 228 guests, you're the first one who's ever, ever actually had any family money. But it, maybe I that's usually just say investments. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But we'll, we'll definitely talk. I mean, we can probably get, get your fees lowered on that. <laughs> but um, I think it's nice knowing, actually, that out of 200 guests, it, there's so many different ways to make money. 
that I think most people just assume like, okay, you're traveling full time. It must be from family money or an inheritance or you just got lucky or something. But in reality, there's people from all walks of life. No, I work. I have I have my website. I have I do social media management. I do freelance writing, you know. So I'm definitely not just traveling off of someone else's dime, you know. I, yeah. And it's cool that you've built up your blog. I mean, there are so few people with a blog. I would if I was going to estimate the number of blogs out there and the percentage of people who make even $100 a month from their blog, yet alone making over 1,000, the the percentage is tiny. It's in the single digits. Yeah, and I think you also see a lot of this when you go to conferences and you see a lot of people, they come out very enthusiastic and then they fall off quickly. You yeah. know, and, and because like we're saying, it takes a long time to start making money and a lot of people can't sustain, you know, going a year, year and a half, two years without making any kind of real money. And so they, they start doing something different. They look for other avenues for income. Yeah. And you know, it's funny is I actually have a course about how to monetize a blog and and I never talk about it. I, I, would, I would I would imagine if people listen to 100 episodes, they've never heard me talk about it or promote it once. Here's your segue. But so the reason why I don't is because even though I know it's a really good course and I know everything in it works and has worked for me and it works for other people, the percentage of people that will actually follow through and do it and spend six months or even a year to do it are so low that I don't want to push it. And I'm just like, if you find it, sign up for it. And if you really want it, you can sign up for it. But at the same time, I just like cannot think of – I like I've been thinking of a way. I'm like, okay, how can I think of a way – we're in two or three, four, you know, you know, three months, kind of max. That's kind of max people's thresholds. Can they actually start earning money from it? You know, where they can kind of get an ROI and then be like, okay, I can see this working. Let me spend more time and not fall off. I would say that would be a niche site more than a blog. Yeah, yeah. Or I, I think if you're looking for some to make money in four months or less, it's probably going to be a niche site. So, what would you say the difference is between a niche site and a blog? Uh, I mean, a, a niche site you're gonna have. I even heard of one blogger. He started a niche site. Uh, he's a you know male, single, unmarried uh, blogger. Started a niche site for comparing breast pumps. You know, so you're gonna you're gonna develop a site like this, a, a comparison site. We're gonna be looking at different things and doing reviews and you know X versus Y and which one's better and write some well structured reviews around this and load it up with affiliate sites get people over to Amazon. Whereas, you know, a blog more and more, I think are straying away from these where it should have some component about your life, yeah. you know? And I know I'm even guilty of this because you get caught up in SEO and advertising and how to monetize and things like this. And the posts that you write about, like you were saying, your, your random travel stories and things like this, those don't really monetize, you know, you need traffic and, uh, now ads, you know, putting Mediavine or whatever the whatever it may be on your site. And the writing a, a typical, like a journal entry is not going to SEO and drive a lot of traffic to your site. So I think a blog should have some component about your life, your travel. It should be a bit personal. It should make people interested or engaged and following along in your story. You know, this guy that was working in corporate and left on a six-month trip and he's never been home and, you know, traveled to all these places. And a niche site's not going to have that. A niche site's just for money it's it's built around driving sales yeah and i definitely have met people who've have make money off of these sites and it, it still does work you just have to you know there's always going to be a niche out there there's always going to be something that like a website that's has old outdated information that you can kind of update like just off the top of my head you know best noise canceling headphones yeah of course you know like this for a long time best baby the, monitors yeah. 
you know. And the thing is, because things, things change, right? Yeah. Like the Bose QC35 has been the best, you know, uh, noise canceling wireless headphone for five years. But now they came, Bose came out with a new model. Sony has a new model. So sometimes people haven't updated it, and you can just kind of just jump in and be like, all right, well, yeah. let me create a site over it. Um, but at the same time, I love blogging. It's something I look forward to. Something that I really enjoy, and the fact that I can make money from it as well is just a cherry on top. I just it's same as my YouTube channel. I just like it. I, I, to me, it's like free money for something I would do anyways. Well, if you enjoy doing it, then it doesn't feel like work. Yeah, I, I I really I really do. I really like it. So I guess more kind of about like the the blogging part of it. I also think that a super niche blog is the way to go. You know. Which I thought when I was doing food, I thought that was super niche, you know, because, you know, everything else is budget travel. That's the most done one. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, I'll do something different with food. And now it turns out food is not even that niche. It's you know? huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, just off my top of my head, I guarantee if someone started a, like, a vegan dessert blog. Oh, crazy. They would kill it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And the same thing like we were saying earlier. Maybe you wouldn't have the biggest audience. But you would have a very engaged audience yeah. of people that, you know, are constantly on the lookout for the newest, best place selling vegan desserts. Yeah. Keto snacks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're giving away some money-making ideas here. Yeah. <laughs> what else is going to be? Carnivore diet dinners or something. Uh, yeah, like, we found out at lunch today this carnivore diet is the new trend, I guess. You, I've actually been seeing it all over Twitter. Yeah. It's crazy. Someone it's, it's needs like, to build the site fast. Yeah. Actually, what's funny is I actually had – I was—I don't know if you know this. Actually, nobody knows this. I, I was a vegetarian for six months, and I was trying to get to paleo diet. So I started a Facebook page called Paleo Vegetarian, mainly to try to find stuff what I could eat. And I couldn't find shit. Yeah. So like it's probably a great niche if somebody wants to spend the time to figure it out. But there are so few recipes out there. I'm sure, yeah. So – but it, it, it works. Like it – it, it definitely works because there's people searching for these super niche things and there's just not enough information. But a general travel blog, a general budget travel blog, even a food blog, there's you, you so have so many. much competition. Yeah, there's so many. What do you think has made your stand out? Because you, you, you get a decent amount of traffic. Like how many visitors do you get a month? About 50,000. That's quite a – that's a lot. And that's only, like I said earlier, since I've started focusing on SEO. Ah. And, you know, there's still a lot. Of, I'm, I'm just a one-man show. You know, ah. so a lot of these – I think we see some bloggers that are uh, – with numbers quite bigger than mine. Ah. Uh, a lot of them are couple bloggers. Yeah. You know, a lot of them have multiple people working on the site. And a lot of them have been at it for longer than me. So I'm pretty impressed with my numbers that I've been able to do this all by myself. And yeah. this growth is all – And it's enough to, like, support you – your travels, yeah. going out to eat, mm -hmm. some airfare. Some airfare, try and keep that as low as possible yeah. when I can. And as a side benefit, you get a lot of free shit, right? Yeah, quite a bit. Okay, so w what are some of those things? Hotels. I mean, like I told you, we're getting ready to do this press trip next week. We're going on a week-long tour of Georgia. That's all completely uh, sponsored. It's with a group of other travel bloggers. We're working with a really great company I've worked with before. I worked with them last summer, J-Way Travels. They specialize in travel for Eastern Europe. They're hosting us for a week-long road trip around Georgia. But lots of hotels, lots of um, tours you can get. Especially if you're in the United States, people will mail you products like crazy. For me, it's a bit difficult because I'm always abroad. I'm only back home in the States like two weeks a year. But a lot of people reaching out, can we mail you this? When they find out they have to ship internationally, usually the offer falls off the table. But uh, 
hotels, tours, yeah, I mean, lots of things like these. Meals, definitely, whenever you go somewhere, you know, you can turn up, especially, I just did a 23-course tasting menu in Sofia, Bulgaria, you know, so most of the meals, I just pay for outright. These aren't very expensive or whatever, but some of these very expensive, you know, Michelin star quality or, you know, comparable to Michelin star or whatever, I'll reach out with them about collaborating and promoting them or whatever, and uh, yeah, lots of things like this. I like it. And actually... I think it would be fun to have a mailing address in the U.S. and just and kind of just get free stuff. Because I actually – I get a bunch of people hitting me up about like travel accessories or especially bags. Man, I would have so many bags right now if I actually accepted all of them. Well, the thing is, you know, I could have it shipped to a friend's house or my sister's house or something. That's not really the problem. The problem is then – I can't tell them, okay, I'll be back there in nine months. Yeah. You know, they're not going to mail you something and wait nine, ten months for the next time you're back in the States so you can do your product review or whatever. You know what I might do? This might be something you can do as well is a month before we're going to go back. Hit up everyone. Hit up everyone or just like even put out a blast on social media saying, now accepting shit in the mail. (laughs) Yeah. I'm on my way home. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I I might do that. Like a, a month before... If you guys want to send me anything, you can send it to my. I'll get like a PO box for one month, like a UPS for one month. Or you know, you can friend's just, house. Or you could just set up a, a colored tab on your Gmail and track them all year. Have have a yeah. file and then contact them two weeks before you go home and say, "Are you still interested in working together?" That's true. But the other problem is most of the stuff they want to send me is shit. Yeah. I, I look at the site, the the you know like the backpacks or the luggage, and I'm like, I don't even. I wouldn't use this. I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. I think the only times I ever say yes is when I'm like, this is something I would have bought anyways my own money. So, yeah, if you want to send it to me for free, I'm happy to to make sure I plug it. Yeah, I just did that. I was on a train in Italy, and I saw a guy with his insane rolling suitcase. And I stopped him. I'm like, what is this? Where did you get this? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm really interested in it. It looked great. And it's something I would I would buy myself. And I reached out to the company and asked them if they're interested in working together and I could review their product or whatever. So I've got this super sick suitcase that I'm excited that it's supposed to be shipped to my sister's house before I go back. Nice. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. What's the brand? Uh, Grow, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Do you also have a YouTube channel or is it just no. your blog? Blog and Instagram are my two biggest platforms. Okay. And so your blog is foodieflashpacker.com? Correct. And your Instagram? Same. Foodie Flashpacker. Okay. Uh, I like that a lot. Thank I, you. I think it's cool. And I like, I don't know. I, I think I just like the fact that you're just authentic, cool person. Thank you. I'm trying. I want authenticity to come through on my channels and people to feel like they kind of know me. Yeah. Do like? Do you think that like people can, can like? Okay. So I go to your site and I see five must-try Cape Cod restaurants, best seafood restaurants in Cape Cod. Scroll down to the MMA. blog part. So you're up in the. Okay. So right now, what are those destinations? Yeah, you're in destinations. So the place where I try and get people to know me a little bit more is anything about the blog, and I actually need to be writing more about it. On that section, you know, I just did a 30-day drinking, no drinking challenge, and I wrote about it. The place where I feel like most people actually get to know me the most is my Instagram stories. Okay. Because everything else on my website is, you know, for it's built for SEO and it's built yeah. for traffic. Uh, everything on my Instagram channel, I kind of obsess about making beautiful photos and getting them very <laughs> perfect. My Instagram stories is just whatever. It's, it's you walking around, talking. I'm doing things, you know, I don't write about being a digital nomad. 
but I've been on the road for coming up on six years now. I've been yeah. on the road five and a half years. So a lot of the stuff on my Instagram stories is kind of behind the scenes stuff. Okay. This is this is what it's like to actually travel and work on the road at the same time. I always give tours of apartments and hotels that I check into. I tell you how much I'm paying for these things. Just so you can get an idea of what an apartment cost in Tbilisi, Georgia. I mean, you got a much better deal on your apartment than <laughs> we're currently sitting in your apartment, which is twice as nice as mine for half the price. So I wanted to tell you the story about this. Okay. So I actually, so I was so excited. I actually created a video on my YouTube channel, uh, kind of filming a tour of my of my apartment. So if you guys want to see it, just go on YouTube, search Johnny FD. But I had walked in. So on the way from the airport, Tbilisi is kind of a busy city. All right. It's like, it's kind of big. It's not huge, but it's kind of big. And I was like, man, I'm so tired from, from this flight and travel. I just want to chill for a few days. I ho- And I was thinking, man, I hope whatever place I booked has a couch and a TV, like a flat screen TV. So Minimum watch Netflix. Requires. Yeah. And I didn't remember what I had booked because I booked it, you know, more than a month ago. It was in Ukraine. I'm, you know, I normally book places based on location first. Make sure you know. I try to get like a decent value, and then or just just keep my my budget down because I don't like wasting money on 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 accommodation if there's a better option. And I was thinking, man, I really hope the place I booked was oh is okay. And I didn't look at. I, I don't remember what it looked like. I don't remember, you know, how big it was or anything. I just remember I paid four hundred bucks, four hundred fifteen dollars for the month, and it was somewhere near the city center. I walked in. She gave me the key. She gave me the Wi-Fi password. And I'm in this like f- kind of a hallway, like a for- like a, almost like a foyer, and all the doors were closed. So I couldn't actually see what was around, and I had assumed it was a bunch of apartments because there was a bunch of doors, mm-hmm. and I was in this freaking hallway. No, I, it's all yours. <laughs> I, well, I asked her, I was yeah. like, "Which one's mine?" <laughs> She's like, "What are you talking about? Like, this is your apartment." And I looked around. I was like, "All of it?" She's like. And she looked like like she looked at me like I was a fucking idiot because you know if I had looked at the photos or the description I probably would have known. And turns out I rented a three bedroom, two bath, a three balconies, three balcony. It's huge. My entire apartment would easily fit in his living room, and I'm paying uh, two hundred dollars a week, so about eight hundred dollars a month. And double. I'm, I'm, paying I'm paying double half. Yeah. And yeah, literally this living room is like U.S. like big. Like house size, not even apartment size. I have an appointment when I leave here with you. I have an appointment to look at a different apartment. If I'm going to extend my stay here, I'm moving out of the apartment that I'm in. Especially <laughs> after seeing this one and seeing what kind of values there are in the city. Yeah. I am I got an awful value. Yeah. I'm usually pretty good. I'm what, usually, what happened? Uh, just kind of being in a rush to, to find something. and Especially I needed something for three weeks. Yeah. And you know what? To be honest, like... Without being here first, actually, no, you had been here before, so you, you knew the neighborhood. Been here right? like three years before. Okay. But, I mean, that's a lot of countries and a yeah, lot of cities ago. That's true. Because the thing is, if you look at the map of Tbilisi, normally you look at the ward of the city, and then like right under it is the best area. Yeah, the but old he, town. But here is the opposite, where you don't want actually want to stay kind of where it looks like. I mean, I guess there's the two areas. Like the ward Tbilisi is on. The other side of the river, mm-hmm. which is okay, but it's not as cool as this side. And then the old town where all the stuff is, 
it's super touristy. I wouldn't really want to live there. Yeah, probably if I had seen yours on the map, I would have said it's too far out. <clears throat> yeah. And then being in the neighborhood today, like I said, we were walking around. It's like cool restaurant, mm-hmm. cool antique shops, clothing stores, you know, interesting coffee bars and things like this. It's a cool, it's a cool neighborhood. Yeah, and it's still – it's like exactly halfway between Vake, which is like the kind of upscale neighborhood, and kind of Vake Park, which is like a really cool central park. And then the old town, which is where all the touristy stuff are. And then it's – so it's not far from anything. It's kind of like and also, perfect. also, taxis here are very affordable. They're so cheap. It's like two bucks to go anywhere. It's insanely cheap. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, I, I think it's better to take a nicer place a bit further out. Yeah. And, you know, it's a short walk or $2 taxi ride. Actually, from here, I think I normally pay four lari, which is $1.25. thirty, yeah. yeah. $1.30, yeah. Yeah, just kind of go over some of the prices for everyone. The kind of most common food, so the kankali we talked about, those are 25 cents a piece or 30 cents a piece. The Georgian bread, which they make fresh everywhere. Okay, so yeah, so the kajapuris are are not expensive. The problem is you would always get that in a restaurant because they have like fresh egg on it. Yeah. So what what do you pay for a kajapuri normally? What are they like? 10 lari maybe, maybe $3, $4. 12, 10, 12, yeah. something like this. Yeah. Four or five dollars, but it's huge. I mean, you need like three, need four people to eat it. Yeah. And then the actual Georgian bread, it's called, a, I don't know what they call it, puri shati or something. That's the fresh bread. Fresh bread. Ma- yeah, the fresh bread they're making. Yeah, it's so good. It's everywhere, except for your neighborhood. So <laughs> I'll find one. There there's, must be one there's there. There's three somewhere. within a few blocks of me. Yeah, so. there, I know there's one in my neighborhood. Okay. I just haven't found it yet. So those are one lorry, which is 30 cents. And they're insane. huge. And they're they're all, like, you can always find them hot. Oh, yeah. 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 Actually, ironically, except for my neighborhood, but maybe it's the timing because I normally get it at like 4 p.m. And I think it's, it's way too late. And it's either too late or too early. It's it's too late for for lunch. It's too late for dinner. Yeah, we were dinner. walking home the other night at like ten thirty at night, and they yeah. were making them fresh still. Well, it's crazy. I always see them making it, but every time I get one, it's always cold. They're so, so good. I know. I'm so, I'm so unlucky. They're kind of like French bread, but more chewy, thin, less crusty. Yeah, thin. bigger, like twice the size. Yeah, that's the problem. They're huge, and they're like thirty cents, but you have to eat it quick. I mean, they're gonna. Yeah, they're so big they're, and they're so fresh. It's too much for one person. Uh, you know what's funny is I often buy one and then while walking home I finish it and buy another one. The whole thing. Yeah. Oh wow, that's so good, man. They are so tasty. I mean, I literally just had a whole chicken for lunch, so you know how much I eat. Yeah, I can only do the half. <laughs> so, what, like, what? How do you balance that? Like having a food log and eating out all the time. Balance it how? I mean, just like not dying. <laughs> um, I mean, I, the the way that I travel, I I often don't have time to be cooking at home. Okay, you know, and so sometimes I get very excited to cook at home if I'm going to be somewhere more than three, four, five days. But I'm not going to go do a big grocery shop for a three night stay somewhere. Okay. You know, so yeah, that's why I'm excited to be here for a while. I went grocery shopping this morning. I made breakfast at home. It's kind of a luxury when you travel like this to be able to cook a home cooked meal. Okay. Yeah, and actually, I remember I was talking to uh, Megan Tom mm-hmm. from uh, is it food fun, fun, food, food fun travel, food fun travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, really cool uh, bloggers as well, and they basically said we're not going to eat <laughs> like lunch for. I mean, I think they're just going to eat at home or like a salad or something. They're like, yeah, like I'm just we're, like we're not going to go out this week because we've been going out too much, and we're going to go on this trip and we're going to eat a lot. So. 
like, sorry, we can't go to lunch for this week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this trip that we're getting ready to do is built around food and wine. So it's going to be a lot of eating and a lot of drinking for the next week. So I guess it's pretty obvious to a lot of people, but for the ones that don't really understand, like why would these companies give you this free trip where they pay for, I mean, I'm assuming they're paying for travel, hotel, and food. Yeah. Like why would they do it? To promote them. Okay. So then what is access to our readers and our social media followers. Right. So they host us and take us around wherever we are, whatever country this happens to be in Georgia. Show us things. The better the, the better trips are the ones that are very tailored to your niche. You know, I've been on trips with a hundred bloggers, and they're trying to cater to couple travel travelers, mommy travelers, adventure travelers, foodie travelers, and you can't do all those things and do them well at the same time. So this one, we have a smaller group, and it's more built around food, wine, and then scenery, landscapes, and things like this. And so what we're going to do is spend a week going around getting photos, making videos, whatever our specialty is. And then we're going to promote it to our readers and our social media followers. And so in exchange, you know, they're selling tour packages here. So we're going to show them, if you come with J-Way Travel, who happens to be sponsoring this next one, the, you can do this kind of trip. This is the exact, you can come on the exact same trip we just did and have this same experience. All right. So shout out to J-Way was it J-Way Travels J-Way Travel yeah they're actually really really solid company I worked with them last year excited to work with them again this year really good company and they really know their shit when it comes to Eastern Europe alright well J-Way Travel shout out to you guys so hook me up next time invite me out because I would love to join one of these trips they're solid they really are how do they actually find you or do you you reach out to them Uh, this one they found me I was at a travel blogging conference T-Bex in Ostrava uh, last year and they were saying we're doing a press trip after Ostrava to Poland and they did a call out for bloggers to apply and I was one of the bloggers that applied and was uh, accepted for the trip last year we did a trip from Prague to Poland oh nice yeah and then hitting up Polish wineries along the way I didn't even know Poland made wine I thought it was just vodka isn't that interesting (laughs) That that bison grass vodka is good though. Yeah, very good. Zab, I don't want to say it. Smooth. It's super smooth. Yeah. Zab, zab, chak, zab, 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 I don't know. I'm sure some Polish person's screaming at me right now, thinking, "Zabu Have you had it? That it has yeah, like bison grass. Yeah, that's yeah. good. If you guys have ever ever find it, I think you could have you can find, you can buy it in Chicago because it's illegal everywhere else is in it? the U.S. Yeah, okay. because I think you're not allowed to put like, you know herbs random herbs in your vodka something something where in the u.s it's illegal except for in poland because there's so many polish people they smuggle it in <laughs> but i really enjoyed that what what like what are these companies normally looking for do they have like a minimum audience size or viewership that they normally will yeah and it depends on the size of the company and you know that's there's a there's definitely an a market for micro influencers, they call them. You know, so some companies will work with people that have less than ten thousand followers, and other companies. You know, I was rejected by a hotel. They told me they don't work with anyone that has less than one hundred fifty thousand Instagram followers. Wow. Okay. And we're talking about for a three hundred dollar night room. Yeah. So you know, if you have one hundred fifty thousand Instagram followers, you should be getting paid fifteen hundred dollars minimum per post. Okay. And so it's you know it's it's not equal. I think their expectations were too high, uh, but it depends on the company and it depends on who they're trying to reach and it depends on. I think honestly, in my opinion, it depends on how savvy they are with uh, this kind of marketing, with digital marketing and things like this, because some of them absolutely have no idea what they should even be looking for. Yeah, I can see that. And I think also sometimes having a high follow account 
like isn't isn't everything right like a lot of it's engagement a lot of it's it kind of should quality, be yeah. but these companies don't know these companies yeah. are the there are some that are very savvy about this and those are the ones that are easy to work with and great to work with yeah. and there's some that all they see is how many followers you have and a lot of people have bought followers or things like this and the companies are never going to have an roi on that experience yeah because if as a company i would much rather like sponsor someone that has 5,000 followers that are super engaged and super love them than someone with 500,000 that are just liking because you have booty picks up yeah. and there's no engagement. So if you want to see some booty picks, go to <laughs> no, foodie Not picks. my site. Yeah. <laughs> Anywhere but my Instagram. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to send booty picks, go ahead. DM. Yeah, get in the DMs. In the DM. But – only if you're a dude. Yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> if you're a hot girl, you can send it to my DM instead. Yeah, it's not mine. Okay. <laughs> food, do, do people randomly send you like food pics or like like you know like oh oh you're in you know Tbilisi you have to check out this restaurant? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And usually when I'm at the airport, I I kind of say, uh, you know, like before I came here, you know, goodbye to Ukraine. I had a very good experience. Look for my posts that are going to be coming up about where to eat, what to do, where to stay in Ukraine, whatever, whatever. Now I'm headed to Tbilisi, Georgia. If any of you have been there, please message me because I am always, always, always looking for solid, personal, good recommendations, not the TripAdvisor reviews. Okay. And so if someone's going to send you the top 10 restaurants on TripAdvisor, don't bother. No. Okay. okay. But if there are... <laughs> I mean, I appreciate it. Anyone okay. that would take the time to send anything is very thoughtful and everything, but I'm looking to do more personalized things than what's on TripAdvisor. Okay. And have you ever met up any, like, like let's say like some hot guys, like, oh, I live in Tbilisi. I know this great restaurant. Would yes. you meet them up? Yes, okay. of course. All right. I've met Instagram followers. I mean, I haven't had a date with any of my followers yet. Okay. I'm, I'm not close to the idea, but I've met some really cool Instagram followers of mine around the world saying, oh, I'm in my city. I would love to show you this or this or that. And we go out and we have a meal or we have a drink or things like this. And they're, they give me amazing suggestions i think anyone that follows me kind of knows the kind of style of what yeah. i'm doing and, and the food so, that you like yeah, yeah. yeah what i'm looking for i love like craft beer i love craft cocktails uh wine bars speakeasies things like this so it's really great if someone you know has lived in the city for a long time born and raised or expat that's been there three four five years or whatever they know they have great recommendations yeah so i'm actually looking through your instagram now Thank and you. it's basically food porn Mm-hmm. It's making me hungry just looking at it. <laughs> you just ate a whole chicken. <laughs> I li- yeah, but that was that was literally my first meal I had in 24 hours. I was I was trying to do this one meal a day intermittent fasting, so I just had to crush that meal. And I ate literally ate a whole roast chicken and a Tbilisi salad. And a salad, Georgian salad. Was it Georgian salad? Georgian. It was so good. Yeah. It was what cucumbers, tomato, but walnuts. like not not those U.S. watery ass tomatoes. No. But like the Eastern Europe. Like tomato, yeah. tomato, like it tastes like a tomato. Walnuts, Walnut, fresh walnuts, uh-huh. some kind of like I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure it has like some kind of like coriander. Which is, was, is that cilantro? Parsley? Yeah, cilantro. It just it was some kind of good. It was just good chimichurri sauce for the chicken, not the salad. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it was tasty, and it was the food here is really good. This place it's not is becoming expensive. a food destination. No, it's not expensive. Like we were at a super hipster, nice, trendy restaurant. Order, you know, with a really good service, almost too good because it kept taking my my plates and my napkin. Like I would wipe my my face for like one second and take away my napkin and annoy me. But and we paid like ten dollars per person, and that's high end. Yeah, that's like the most you'll spend is ten, maybe fifteen if you had like because this restaurant is attached to a high end hotel. Yeah, 
Rooms Hotel. Yeah, Rooms Hotel. So, I mean, this is well above what you would normally spend for lunch here. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and if you want to eat cheap, end, yeah. you know, go get some, you know, 30 cent Kachapuri, I mean, um, Kinkali's. Get a couple dollar Kachapuri. Yeah, like I said last night, we had a midnight snack on the way home. Two liters of wine yeah. and like three Kinkali each. Two American dollars. It's so crazy. And that's split between like five people, you know. How, that much wine between five people. Y'all need to get out to Georgia. It is, it is a really amazing country. I, I told everyone, I'm doing a tour right now. The three countries that I'm visiting were not my favorite countries last time I visited them. Or cities, anyway. I've always loved Bulgaria, but I didn't love Sofia, Bulgaria. I went back and I had a complete change of opinion. Yeah. Um, Ukraine, I still, like I said, I like Ukraine. I wouldn't recommend it to people for a long weekend or something. Kiev is a great place for digital nomads. I've done a complete... Longer term. Longer term. For, yeah. Value for money. Especially if you want to learn Russian or Ukrainian. And But I've had a complete 180 on Tbilisi. Tbilisi is such a cool city right now. There's so much going on. It's trendy, like wine bars, uh, craft beer bars. Um, like we talked about Wine Factory. You know, massive, yeah. trendy, amazing places where you can have a bottle of wine for $2. Yeah. I'm going to do a whole write-up on Tbilisi, but actually just on my blog right now, you'll see last month's or the July income travel expenses report. Wrote a little bit about Tbilisi, but I think this, I really believe this is going to be the next nomad hotspot, especially because Americans, actually everybody, but especially for Americans. One year visa? One year visa on arrival. And then you can leave for a day and you get another year. Do you? Yeah. I didn't know how it worked after yeah. the one year. You okay. can literally just, I mean, you can literally just cross the border and come back. But the thing is, you're always, everyone's going to, there's no one ever in this community who's not going to leave in summer in one year, right? So, like, even if you home base here and you're like, you know, I don't, I'm tired of traveling, I'm just going to stay here. I guarantee within a year you're going to go somewhere, especially because you can fly to Europe for pretty cheap. It's halfway between Europe and Asia, so you can go to both places. And then as soon as you come back, another year. And a lot of people right now, there, um, there's a lot of talk about how easy it is to set up a business here. Mm-hmm. That you can open a business in less than thirty minutes. Yeah, you know, so you, you can walk into any bank with your passport. In Fifteen minutes, you get a bank account. Bank account, yeah. And so the bureaucracy here is supposed to be a lot more streamlined than you'll find in other places that are comparably priced. Yeah, I definitely agree. And so, as a as a gay traveler, have you had any problems in places like you know Ukraine, Bulgaria? Uh, like Georgia, because these traditionally don't sound like very LGBT, X Y Z kind of places, you know. You know, I've I've had this conversation a lot with a lot of people. No, I mean the short answer is no. I have not had a lot of problems here, but the same thing where it goes back to hospitality, you know, and tourism, and they want to make money and things like this. So I think the things that um, tourists and gay travelers can come here and have a really great experience. Not be harassed, not be bothered, be treated friendly. Uh, everyone's very social and things like this. I think it's a different experience for local people living here. Yeah, I think it's a, yeah, I can see it being harder to be a local living here. A local here. person, yeah. And I, I think their experiences, you know, these are, when it comes to LGBT issues, they're not extremely open minded countries. And also, I think a lot of times we're looking at Sofia or we're looking at Bucharest yeah, or we're not looking a, at the small village yeah. or small, yeah. You know, this is where you're going to find the most open minded people. And so here we probably think, oh, it's not that bad. And you see gay couples or anything like this. 
probably anywhere outside of the two biggest cities in any of these countries, it's a very different experience. And definitely when you get into like small villages and things like this, I it's it's got to be very tough on locals. Yeah, but I guess that's another good reason to just travel and to move. And, you know, I, I really believe, you know, in the saying of go where you're treated best. You know, you're not a tree. <laughs> you know, get up yeah. and leave. Yeah, and, but there's also know. something to be said for visiting places that, unless it's a safety issue, you know, unless I was worried about my safety, you know, it is interesting to go to these places and see how fortunate, being an American, that we do have it. Because I think we take it for granted sometimes with the rights and privileges that we have uh, across the board, not just LGBT, but rights and privileges that Americans have. But especially how far we've come with like gay rights and gay marriage and things like this. To, it's a good reminder that not everyone has these same privileges. Yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that. All right. So I'm glad that everybody is safe and happy and that we're traveling the world connecting. So kind of to wrap up because I know this has been kind of a long episode. If people want to find you, where they, sh- where they should go? Uh, foodieflashbacker.com or on all social media channels, Foodie Flashbacker. And if they want to eat some good food, definitely go to foodieflashbacker.com. <laughs> you can find great suggestions. And if you if I don't cover somewhere that's a really great suggestion, feel free to DM me with a suggestion. I'd love to check it out. Yeah, sounds good. So I hope to see you guys out in Georgia. I really think you'll like it. I think Tbilisi really is an upcoming place. Check the blog, johnnyfd.com, for some updates and my guide. And until then, uh, see all of you guys somewhere in the world. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been fun. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.